Let's stand and open our Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, and it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Teaching in the Bible College, one of my favorite subjects is teaching on the book of Acts and the life of Paul. And the more I study his life, the more I'm amazed at what he was able to accomplish through the power of the Holy Ghost, the way that he was used, his strength. And looking at today's generation, I've I don't know if there's been a weaker brand of Christianity that's existed than America's Christianity in 2013. People simply cannot handle any kind of hardship or headache or problem or setback. And most of what we deal with in life are simply uh, the results of living on a sin-cursed planet. But we attribute that to suffering. And in some sense of the word, we like to feel martyrdom and say, well, you know, if it weren't for being a Christian, I wouldn't have to deal with that or live with that or suffer that. But to the contrary, I believe most of our suffering is simply based on the fact that while we're on this planet, while we live and breathe, we're going to have to deal with some sicknesses and heartaches and death. And that's common and normal, and everyone on the planet has to deal with that. But in the Christian life, there are problems. And Paul said this, dealing with a thorn in the flesh, he said there was given to me, there was a gift that was given to me. It was a thorn in the flesh, lest I should be exalted above measure. And he said he prayed three times. He said, Lord, would you take this from me? Now, I know many people attribute this to being some kind of physical ailment. But having studied the life of Paul, I would disagree. Paul was not a griper. Paul was not a complainer. And the last thing he was concerned about, having been beaten and stoned and shipwrecked and thrown in jail and dealing with the hardship of traveling by foot and sleeping on the ground, I don't think Paul was complaining about some disease or sickness or problems with his vision and begging God to be relieved of that thorn. I believe it was something much more severe than that. Turn with me to the book of Acts for just a minute. I believe that most likely he was speaking of something that was affecting his ministry more than affecting his personal health. Look what it says in chapter 13, verse 45. Everywhere Paul went, you'll see that the Jews followed him, stirring up problems, hindering his ministry, getting him run out of town after town, synagogue after synagogue, and as a result, he suffered, his ministry suffered. Look what it says in chapter 13, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes... They were filled with envy, spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Here's what you'll see as you study Paul's life and his three missionary journeys. The Jews are constantly right behind him, just a step or two behind him, stirring up trouble. Look what it said in chapter 14, verse 2. 
But the unbelieving Jews, they stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Verse 19 of that same chapter. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium. Now listen, they weren't just Jews in those cities uh, that were causing him problems, but these were a band of Jews that were literally following him, sometimes traveling 40 or 50 miles on foot from city to city right behind Paul, stirring up trouble. So they came from Antioch and from Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city, supposing he'd been dead. Now, I would consider this a thorn in the flesh. If everywhere you go, you have a band of rabble-rousers who are stirring up trouble, and they're following you from city to city, and at some point, not only are they getting you beaten and jailed, but now they've actually stoned you to death. That may be considered a thorn in the flesh. Look what it said in chapter 17, verse 5. This is from the very beginning of his ministry to the very end. He faced this same issue. His three missionary trips, probably we're talking about 15 or 16 years of his life that were spent there in Asia. He traveled up through Galatia, starting churches in there, Lystra, and Iconium, and Derby. Each time you see him thrown out or chased out of these cities, even when he goes down through Macedonia and Philippi and and Thessalonica and Berea, once again, they're coming behind him, running him out, stirring up trouble. Chapter 17, verse 5, it says, But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword, gathered a company, set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Verse 13, but then the Jews, now listen, we're talking about a different city every time we read a passage of Scripture. But when the Jews of Thessalonica acknowledged that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also. That's a 50-mile trip on foot. They came just to stir up the people. Look what it says in chapter 18, verse 12. And when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Do you see what this man had to deal with? Constantly, these men coming behind him, causing him problems. Now, whether or not you're in agreement, if that was his thorn in the flesh, it doesn't really matter. The fact is, Paul had something that was grievous enough that he prayed three times and said, God, would you do me a favor of taking this problem from me and out of my life? And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to throw out some simple and random thoughts on God's strength and grace. I want to say, number one, God gives strength and grace sufficient for today. Now, here's what we do, and I remember as a youth reading Fox's Book of Martyrs and, and reading about these Christians in ages past that were tied to a stake and burnt, and as they were burnt, they left this planet singing praises to God and thinking, God, I don't have the grace to do that. I don't have the strength to do that. If someone threatened my life, I don't know how I would respond. I don't know what I'd say. I don't know if I would deny you, and I don't want to do that. I hope I never face that situation. But you know what? I don't need grace to face the fire because today I'm not facing the fire. I need grace to preach. I need the grace to lead this church. 
I need the grace to be your pastor. I need the grace and the strength to father my children and lead my home. But at this moment, today, I don't need the grace to be a martyr. I don't need the grace for jail. You know what fear is? The average Christian lives with fear. Fear is looking at the problems of tomorrow with today's grace and strength. In living concern. You're thinking, I don't, I don't know if I could handle that level of sickness. I don't know if I could handle cancer. I don't know if I could handle the death of my mate or the death of my child. No, today you can't because you're not dealing with those problems. And God never gives you an abundance what you need today. He simply gives you enough grace and strength to handle today's problems. Go back with me. And look what it says about Paul's life in chapter 14, verse 19, a scripture we just read. He comes to Lystra, and the Bible says, There came thither certain Jews from Antioch, and I got him. They're persuading the people to pick up rocks and throw them. Now, we're not talking about stones. We're talking about as big of a rock as they could put in their hand. And they begin to gather these and throw them at Paul until he's knocked on the ground, and they crush his skull, and the life goes out of his body. Then look what happens. Supposing him to be, to be dead, how bait, verse 20, is the disciples stood around about him. He rose up, came into the city. The next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. They're standing there. His head's been bashed in. He's bleeding from the mouth. They're not getting any pulse at all, and God supernaturally raises him from the dead. And God gives him at that moment the grace and the strength to continue. He didn't have that a minute too early. He didn't have that grace to face stoning the day before. He didn't have the strength to get up from a state of unconsciousness, a state of being dead or nearly dead until the moment. And here's what we want. God, give me the grace and give me supernatural strength. And we look at people that we hold in high regard. I remember years ago, I was going through Tennessee and stopped at a tent in the Bristol area and they're having a, a revival with 35 or 40 churches involved. Brother John Bishop was there. He was recovering from his sickness and already facing blindness and, and a loss of memory. And I remember as he barely made it up to the stage. And I know Brother Bishop when he was young and healthy and vibrant. And I could imagine him being in that condition. And as he got up in front of that congregation, the power got on him just struggling to get words out of his mouth. And I sat in that pew and thought, God, would you give me that kind of grace and strength? And God said, no, there's no need for you to have that kind of grace and strength. You're going to get up tomorrow with a healthy body and you don't need his grace. You don't need his strength because you're not facing that level of sickness and pain and heartache. That'd be a grace overload. That'd be a strength overload. And here's what we want in life. We want God to give us in excess what's not necessary at the moment. Look what it says in chapter 14, verse 22. So Paul continues his travels, and he returns through the cities where he's planted churches. Verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through, what's he saying? much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Now, can you imagine how overwhelming this must have been for those young Christians? He has just led them to 
to the Lord. They've seen him thrown out of the city. They've seen the anger. They've seen these Jews that have stirred up trouble. They've seen Paul beaten. They've seen all these bad things happen. So Paul comes back through, and in his preaching, he says, I just want you to know that the way I've suffered, you'll have to suffer too, and that we, through much tribulation, will enter into the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the panic on their faces? Paul still hasn't facially recovered from the stoning he just took. Maybe he's missing a piece of his ear, scars on his face. And he says, we through much tribulation. And there's these young Christians thinking, I don't have the grace to be stoned. I don't have the grace to endure that kind of persecution. I can't handle that kind of suffering for his name's sake. Oh, well, you don't need it. Not today. Now, if you face it tomorrow, God will give you the grace and the strength for tomorrow. So you don't need to live fearful. You don't need to live panic. You don't need to say, I just don't know if I have enough grace for, and you're looking at someone else's problem. You're looking at someone else's heartache. You're looking at someone else's condition or situation and saying, I don't have the strength Brother Gamus does. I don't have the grace Brother Tony does. I'm just not finding myself in that situation. So what happens the moment or the day the tragedy strikes my house or I face that kind of problem and God says, I'll give you the grace and the strength that you need for that moment. Chapter 16, when he's thrown into jail. How many of you remember the story? And he's there, he's been beaten. Since I hear you turning there, we might as well read the verse. Verse 23, when they laid many stripes upon them, cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison. Now you have to imagine... They're bleeding. They have welts on their body. They sting right now with the open flesh caused by the beating they've just taken. They're thrown in there. They make their feet fast in the stocks. Look at the grace and strength of the Lord come through. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. How did they do that? That's God at the moment. Did you know they did not have that grace or that strength the day before? Paul was thinking about jail and being beaten. He certainly wasn't singing at the moment. But when it happened, God gave him the grace and the strength to go through that. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 33. I like the way it's stated. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 25. Speaking of the blessing upon Asher. Verse 25 says, Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. Is thy days, so shall thy strength be. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thy help. Aren't you thankful for the, that there's a sovereign God in heaven? Omnipotent, ready and willing to help. And in his excellency on the sky, the eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee. But the promise that I like the most is back in verse 25 where it says, As thy days, so shall thy strength be. That's what we don't like. That's a promise we actually don't like. I want the strength now. And God said, no, as thy days be, I'll give you the strength. So when you face that battle, when you come to that trial, when you are given that obstacle, when you hear the, the doctor say, this is the disease that you have. As thy day be, so shall thy strength be. And God says, 
I'm going to give you exactly what you need for the moment. You know what we do as Christians? We sit around, we worry, we fret, we think about all the things that could possibly happen to us and some of the things that will happen to us. And, and preacher, what do I do next year? What do I do with this health insurance problem? What do I do? I was just dropped. What do I do? The doctor just told me bad news. What do I do? Well, first of all, stop worrying about tomorrow because God will give you grace for tomorrow. You have no clue what will happen or what won't happen. But here's what I do guarantee you. You have enough grace today to deal with whatever is on your plate. I don't think Christians understand how interconnected grace and strength really is. Turn with me to 2 Timothy for just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul speaking to Timothy. Timothy was his young disciple, his son in the faith, a man that he had trained for the ministry. Now he had sent Timothy to deal with problems there in the church at Ephesus. And Timothy, having he's a young man, having to deal with older men who are stirring up problems, I think it was crossing his mind to jump ship. Here's what Paul told him. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in what? The grace. Grace and strength are connected. Now, we see feeble Christians. It's not that God's grace is not sufficient. God gave Paul this, this promise. My grace is sufficient for thee. Now, we're not operating in that grace. Disaster is about ready to strike. I thought after 10 or 15 or 20 years of the ministry, I couldn't be surprised any longer. And I think what's caught me off guard after a couple decades in the ministry, is this. The depths of bitterness and the result of a person, a Christian, that tries to operate in his own strength outside of the grace of God. And the bitterness as a result, and when bitterness creeps into a heart of a person, boy, they are capable of the most vile and wicked and vulgar behavior, scheming and steaming and hating in living for revenge, frustrated, lashing out people that have become bitter, not because God's grace wasn't sufficient, but because they refused to operate in the strength that only God's grace gives us. What did Hebrews say in chapter 13? It says, be careful, beware, be cautious, lest any of you fail. In the grace of God, not that God's grace fails, but we fail to operate in God's grace. And when you do that, God's grace is sufficient. Right now, for this moment, no matter what you're facing, God's grace is sufficient. A man chooses to operate outside of God's grace. If you have marital problems, God's grace is sufficient. If you're facing health problems, God's grace is sufficient. If you're facing a financial crisis, God's grace is sufficient. But here's what we try to do. We try to operate outside of that. Next thing you know, we're angry. We're frustrated. We let that grow into bitterness. There's nothing more ugly, more wicked, more vile than a Christian that's grown bitter because he tried to live and face life's problems without God's grace. 
2 Timothy 4.17 Notwithstanding the Lord stood with me, He strengthened me uh, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul was strengthened. He said in the previous chapter, verse 11, he asked, Who is weak? Am I not weak? Paul said, I'm as weak as any of you. But I've learned to operate in God's grace and allow him to strengthen me. Go back with me to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. Verse 7, we see that principle throughout the entire Bible that God gives us strength and grace for the moment. That's why when he was teaching the disciples to pray, he said, give us this day our daily bread. He was trying to get them to understand, listen, I'm about helping you today. When those Jews were going through the wilderness, he gave them manna for the day. And some of those got up in the morning concerned about the next day and they filled their pocket with extra and they went to their pantry and they brought in manna for the rest of the week and they woke up in the morning and the kids said, what is that awful smell? We're trying to gather. God said, no, 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 no. I supply your needs today for the day. I'll give you grace today. I'll give you strength today. I'll give you food today. We like to hoard grace and strength. Put it in the cupboards, and that way when the crisis comes, we can pull it out of a can, chew on that for a little bit, like spinach for Popeye, and walk out supernatural strength to deal with the crisis of the day. God says, I don't work that way. Look what it says in chapter 12, verse 7. Lest I should be exalted by measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. You know hardships are a gift of God. Said I had a gift. I watch parents destroy their children, never allowing them to be strong because they coddle them, do everything for them, never make them learn, never make them pay for anything, never make them deal with any kind of responsibility or a hardship. They shelter them, protect them, walk around like an umbrella till they're 18 or 19. And suddenly when a rainstorm hits, they can't deal with it. I thank God for Dan that gave me the gift of hardship. Thank God for a dad that never defended me. I thank God for a dad when I was 13 and was looking for a bike, put a box under a tree that I thought was a bike disassembled. When I opened it up, it was in a box that said lawnmower on it. And I thought... How do you get a bike in a box that small? He didn't. When I opened it up, boy, was I distressed and perplexed to find out it was actually a lawnmower. He said, son, why are you looking at me like that? That's a bike. In disguise. Matter of fact, that could be a car. Could be a car. What kind of motor would we have to put on that thing? To make it a car, oh no, son, that right there is your ticket to financial success. Dad, I'm 13, how about a bike? That is your bike. If you want a mongoose, you got one. If you want a 10-speed, it's on the way. You are responsible for your own success in life. Now go make it happen. Dad, I changed my 
my desire, I don't want a bike anymore. I'd like a nice pair of shoes. You got it right there in the box. Matter of fact, son, you got a suit, you got a tie, you got a way to camp, you got anything you want right there in that box. Could you include a gasoline can? No. How can I make money to buy a gasoline can if it's not included in the gift? I thank God for dad that sent me off to college and didn't even put 10 bucks in my hand. Never helped me with my school bill. He did make a few phone calls and said, son, it looks like your sister's struggling a little bit. You need to make sure you help her with hers. I thank God for death that didn't protect me from hardship. You know what God says? You were born weak. Have you ever thought about how weak you were when you were born? No strength, no ability to handle any level of hardship. Everything made you cry. Everything made you fuss. Everything made you whine. If you got hungry, you would scream at the top of your lungs. Life was hard. Little did you know, you didn't have a minute in your life where you'd be more pampered than the minute you were born. But you were mad because life was too hard and people were too mean and no one was holding you and you felt a little milk bubble in your chest and that even made you more upset. You know what you had to do to get strong? You had to face some hardships. You were born into the family of God, extremely spiritually weak. And God says, I'm going to have to introduce some hardships to build some strength. And we hate that. You know what? If you fell in the Christian life, it's because you chose to fail. If you fall into temptation, if you mess up, if you quit, that's on you. That's not on God. God said, as thy days be, so shall thy strength be. I'm going to give you enough grace and enough strength to deal with the problems of this moment, whether it's in your Christian life or your marriage or your child rearing or your ministry. I've given you what you need today. We refuse that and then complain. I had a weak moment. That's because you're a weak person. And God looked at Paul and said, my strength is sufficient for thee. God won't coddle you like you coddle your children, and that's why you're angry with God. Because you're used to your child, and if you get a bad grade, I'll go see that teacher and tell them, what are you trying to do to my kid? Make him smarter or something? I know they gave you a special test that has higher requirements than they gave to everyone else. That's why you got a 63. They yelled at you? No one yells at you except me and mom. You've got to cut that out. They make you clean at the school? That child hasn't done a dish at 17 years old, about ready to go to college. Never, never done a dish, never made a bed, never washed his clothes, never lifted a finger to help. And weak, so weak, you think that child's going to make it through college? Because you've cuddled that child, you expect God to coddle you the way you coddle you are preparing that child for disaster. God says, I'm not going to prepare you for disaster. You need to deal with heartache. You need to deal with tragedy. You need to deal with setbacks. You need to deal with problems. That's building a spiritual muscle. God looked at Paul and said, you got a thorn in the flesh. Paul, you got stoned. Hmm, rough life. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you enough strength to stand up and walk to the next city. Go get him. You said, but God, you, you should have protected me from stoning. And God said, I gave you strength to get up after you were stoned. 
Your head's intact. Your brain was never intact. Go preach the gospel, Paul. God, I wish you would have protected me. You know, after he was beaten and jailed there in Philippi, and the magistrates go to send him out of the city, he says, wait a minute, I'm a Roman. They get nervous. And they said, hurry up and get him out of jail and get him out of prison and, and, and send him off down the road. And Paul said, no, I want an apology. I wonder if Paul asked God, God, you know, I'm a Roman. Why, why couldn't they have realized that before I got beaten and jailed? I'm glad you gave me the grace to sing in jail, but hey, this is going to hurt me for a few days. Thank God Luke, the physician, was with him. To patch him up, put some kind of herbs on him and feed him some kind of green tea and take him down and cut up some flowers and some roots and some berries or something and patch him up and tape him back together and send him down the road. But I imagine that it went through Paul's mind a couple times. God, you know, I would sure like it if when they run me out of town, you could give me a couple hours heads up so I can make it down the road before they pull out the whipping sticks and the before they put me in handcuffs and before they really take it to me? God says, Paul, you have exactly the strength and the grace that you need for this moment. Whatever you're dealing with, it's not that God is not there. It's amazing how often we like to live without God's grace and strength. We like... Walk around with a martyr syndrome. Gives us an excuse to gripe. Got a rough life. These girls walk around with their violence on Sunday, but most Christians do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Same song. 16th verse. A little louder. A little worse. Griping about light. Singing about their sorrows. Trumpeting their troubles. Life is rough. I'll tell you what, God gives you exactly the grace and strength you need today. Go back with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Now let me just say this. Strength doesn't mean perfection. When God says he's going to give you grace and strength, that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect as you go through that trial. Paul was a good man, not perfect. He gets saved. God begins to change his life. Chapter 9, verse 26, when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Believe not that he was a disciple. He was changing. They just knew he had a past. This guy's a rough cucumber. Bad news. He'd beat some of them up, pulled them out of houses. Women and children included hauled them off to jail. But here comes an encourager, Barnabas. Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples and declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now go with me to chapter 11, verse 25. Paul had been saved now for several years. He'd been out in Arabia, Damascus, preaching, but the disciples were still concerned about his past, didn't know whether or not to trust him. Verse 25, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know what? I'm thankful that although grace and strength doesn't mean 
you're going to have a perfect pastor. My children are going to have a perfect father. My wife's going to have a perfect mate. It means I won't just survive life's problems. If I'm living on God's grace, performing by his strength, I can thrive no matter what the circumstance. That doesn't mean perfection. And here's what I'm thankful for. Those that have the strength and grace to deal with our imperfections. You know what we do? We don't have enough grace and strength to look at another Christian and say, I don't need you to be perfect. I just need you to be walking in God's grace and strength. And I'm a big enough Christian to cover your imperfections. You know, what we're talking about random thoughts, let's just go to Genesis chapter 9. Look what the Bible says, Genesis Chapter 9, verse 19, these are the three sons of Noah, and then was a whole earth overspread. Noah began to be an husband many. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine, was drunk, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his two brethren without. Sham and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon both their shoulders, went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were backward. They saw not their father's nakedness. Thank God for men with enough strength and grace to cover someone else's nakedness, not look upon it. You know what we have? We have people that think they're spiritually strong because they can walk around and talk about people's nakedness. And I know about him, and I've seen her faults. And you know what you need to do? You need to get close to people and help people and love people, but never get so close that you ever see their nakedness. You know what? Every single person in here has faults and failures. And I love Sergio and we eat together and, and we've done Bible studies together and, and we've worked together and I thank God for our friendship but I never want to get so close that I ever see his faults and failures and defects, his nakedness and if anything ever comes up I want to be the first one to bring a blanket and cover that up before anyone else sees it. I don't want to be the one that notices Mark's faults and failures. I want to be the one that walks behind him with a blanket and anything happened before anyone else sees that fault before. I'm not talking about covering sins. I'm not talking about ignoring wickedness. I'm talking about most of the time that doesn't even take place in church. You know how rare it is to actually have some kind of gross sin in any Baptist church? That's rare. But we like to highlight those moments. But worse than that, when someone has a simple fault defect, you get close enough to see it. I'm going to have to discover their shame. I'm going to make sure the whole world sees a picture. Thank God for people that have enough strength and grace. They see that and they get it covered up. Thank God we have five or six in this church strong enough and full of enough grace. They're not coming to me with someone else's defect. They're covering up before someone else sees their defect. That's grace, that's strength. You know what weakness is? You know when someone's running around Highlighting everyone else's sin is because they're trying to cover their own sin. You watch people who are trying to discover everyone else's sin. It won't be long. It won't take six months, eight months, 12 months. Sooner or later, you're going to see their sin come to the surface. Yeah, that's David over there throwing a fit and saying, Who's that man that stole that lamb? Let him die. It's you, David. You're the one that took that lamb. You're the one that stole that sheep. Mm-hmm. Watch this over the past 20 years. You have a young person who grew up in a Christian church like this. Listen, 
and, and you have people that are sacrificing for them, paying for their trips and helping them uh, go through a Christian school and a Christian environment and taking them out for soda and paying for their coffee and spoiling them night and day. You have a youth leader that lives off absolutely nothing because he's dumping every dime he has and makes into the youth of this church. And you take a child like that that's been full. No, I paid for my own trips. Did you know I was born and raised in church? Don't treat me like I was stupid. Paid for your own trips. I did. We had a bake sale. Oh, so someone paid you $87 for a brownie. <laughs> you know what that means? These people paid for your trip, you knucklehead. But they turn 18, 19, 20. Suddenly, they're trying to uncover the nakedness. I've been around Pastor Ben to know he didn't even need anyone running behind him with a blanket. There ain't nothing there to cover. You know what you're going to find out? That same young person that's trying to uncover someone's nakedness, they're going to be out there smoking and drinking and fornicating down on 6th Street, living like hell in six months. You know why they're screaming about someone else's sin? Because they got to cover what they're doing that's about ready to be uncovered. Thank God for those with enough grace and strength. They just walk around with a big blanket and say, if I ever see anything, I'm going to cover it before anyone else sees it. You don't have a perfect pastor. I thank God for people in this church see a flaw or a defect or a failure in their past or a bad decision. They're ready there to throw a blanket on it. So I don't want anyone else to see that mistake he made. God cursed him. God cursed him. He saw the fault. He saw the fa Tell me about the 120 years that Noah preached the gospel. Tell me about a faithful man that built an ark and stood alone and did right. Then you have a wicked son out there. A weak moment. He's laughing at the nakedness of his father. And two boys said, cut that out. I don't even want to see that. He walked in there with the blanket and said, just cover it up. Just get, get, get that cover. We don't even want to see that. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. How? In the power of His might. You know, we need Christians that are strong, strong enough to stand in this generation against the tide of evil, strong enough to read their Bibles, strong enough to do right when others are doing wrong, strong enough to stay in biblical doctrine and standards when men are abandoning true Bible doctrine and biblical holiness and standards. We need some kind of spiritual strength and emotional strength and physical strength because we have a weak, watered-down brand of Christianity because we're not in the Word, because we're not praying, because we're not ready and prepared when temptation comes, when someone comes twisting the word of God, when someone comes with some kind of humanistic philosophy, we fall for it. There's no kind of strength. Be strong in the power of his might. Here's what Paul said. I'm weak. God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. I gave you a gift. It's a thorn, but I did it so you wouldn't be exalted above measure. And I'm going to give you the grace and the strength, Paul, to be shipwrecked, not once, not twice, three times, four times, stoned, 
beaten with rods, beaten with whips, jailed, thrown out of cities, facing hardship, and then imprisonment, and then the disciples are going to criticize you, not even back you up. Well, guess what? I'm not going to give you the grace right now to handle each one of those situations, but as they come, as thy days be, so shall thy strength be. And I'm going to give you the grace, Paul, and if any man could have been run over by life or embittered by a circumstance, it could have been Paul. But he said, God gave me enough grace today. His strength is sufficient today. So I'll walk in that. And he walked with Silas, Barnabas, and Luke, Timothy, and Titus. You know what those men did? Is they traveled. And they saw that man's weakness. They said, cover it up. We don't need anyone else to see. Paul had a weak moment. We love it. And we need him to cover our weaknesses when we have a weak moment. My grace is sufficient for thee.